0: is from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 6 to 10. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of
1: prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Do grab your Bibles, do leave it open, particularly Genesis 2. We'll have a look at that passage, but let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us understand in this world of confused relationships what your good design of marriage is and how we might honour that, whether we're married or not. We pray, Lord, that you'll teach us and conform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what are we to make of marriage? Now, what do you think about these quotes I'm about to show you? Now, let me just warn, these quotes are said tongue-in-cheek. Marriage is not a word. It's a sentence, a life sentence. It's meant to be funny. What about this next one? All men are born free, but some of them get married. What about this one? Love is holding hands in the street. Marriage is holding arguments in the street. Now, of course, these quotes are said tongue-in-cheek. That was the warning. But we do joke about marriages, don't we? And often one of the good signs of a healthy marriage is that there is a bit of joking around and a bit of laughter. Now, not taking ourselves too seriously in marriage is a good thing. In fact, in my marriage, there, there's a bit of joy and laughter, and often the laughter's at my expense, and that's good for our marriage, so I'm, with, I'm okay with that. But of course, when we come to think about marriage, we can't just joke around. There is far more than that. But where do we go to understand marriage rightly? Where do we go? Well, I suspect for most of us, our understanding and perception of marriage comes largely from the marriage we have seen in our parents or those around us. And so some of us, we've been blessed in being brought up in a family, a household with parents who have strong marriages. And we say, we wish and I wish that our marriage will be like that. But some of us, unfortunately, and many of us, we have seen marriages we rather forget. You know, mum and dad, they just do not know how to communicate. And each small issue is just like World War III in a household, and each time finances is brought up, when they talk, it just, it's just like the end of the world. Or well, some of us, we grow up in broken marriages, parents divorced, or marriage where mum and dad are just completely numb towards each other. No joy, no harmony, no peace in a household at all. And some, sad to say, domestic violence always heartbreaking to hear. And when we hear and see those marriages, we say, well, I wish my marriage would not turn out like that. You see, how we have understood and come to understand about marriage largely comes perhaps from our parents or from those we see around us. And what we see will either elevate our view of marriage or taint it. And when we turn to our world, our culture, and see what our world teaches us about marriage, it doesn't help at all. In fact, in the, in the Western world, with the sexual revolution of the 60s to what we have now, and almost out of nowhere, the traditional view of marriage being between one man and one woman for life has effectively been dismantled, redefined, undermined, and pretty much destroyed. I mean, just consider... How many of the movies and how the movies have changed over the last few decades? And just consider whether the movies you've seen recently, what they teach about marriage or what they distort about marriage and what they normalise about human relationships. And perhaps even consider when was the last movie you've seen that honoured marriage and family life as a good thing? And what this has meant for Christians And I suspect we may feel it as well, is that it has become harder and harder to defend our view. And we've become perhaps even more careful with the type of words we use when we talk about marriage. I found finding uh, this book quite helpful, reading through this book and, and seeing how we ended up where we are now in the world. It's a book that's recommended on the book list by Glyn Harrison, A Better Story, God, Sex, and Human Flourishing. He says, As if from nowhere, Christians whose views once occupied the mainstream of public morality suddenly feel weird. It's worse than that. They feel guilty. Guilty for holding views held to be degrading to the human spirit. What happened to bring about such a paradigm shift? And that has been the paradigm shift in our world. And so if we are to understand about marriage and understand it rightly, where do we go? Well, if we go to our culture, it's always in flux and anything goes, we don't go to our culture. But of course, it's no surprise if you're listening in on this, we go to God. God has the better story of marriage. In fact, God not only has the better story of marriage, he invented marriage. And that's the first point. The first point I want to speak on is that Marriage is God's design, not our invention. It's not as though Adam and Eve woke up one day and thought, well, let's consider getting married. Seems like a good thing. Let's commit to each other for life. Let's have arguments and disagreements and learn to love and forgive and commit to each other for life. Let's get married. Let's do this. Not at all. You see, it was God's idea. By God's design for all humanity... Marriage is revealed. It is given to us. We don't have to make it up, nor should we make it up. It's not our right. We might try to redefine it, reinvent it, but that would be to go against the grain in which we were made, and that will always lead to disastrous consequences. But when we work in harmony with the moral fabric of the created order, along with the grain in which God made us, With God's reality, it is good for human flourishing. And that is good not just for Christians. It is good for the world, for every culture. And that's why it is still true. Though we redefine it and we deny what marriage really really is, in every culture there is still this instinctive, self-evident understanding of marriage being between one man and one woman. You see, marriage is not a Christian thing. It is a creation thing. It is good for all humanity. And so what do we learn about marriage from God's design? Well, marriage is a one-flesh union between one man and one woman, and it's joined by God. So that together there is this beautiful dance of love and intimacy and faithfulness that extends a lifetime. And we see this by design, With the very first marriage, after God created Eve from Adam and brought her to Adam. Look at what Adam said in Genesis 2. The man said, and of course he said with great jubilation, the first song of humanity was a love song, and he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, it's a picture of what marriage is meant to be. This beautiful language of this one flesh union is used to describe that. But what does that mean? Well, this one flesh union, I've got four quick points. First, It is about male and female, one humanity, coming together in unity. Just as Eve was created from the flesh of Adam, they're brought back together as one flesh. Just like two parts of a puzzle that fits perfectly together, they are different, they are distinct, they are unique. Men and women, we are different, and we're meant to be different by design biologically, psy- psychologically, like two parts of the puzzle coming together. I mean, I'm very different to Yvonne, biologically, of course. Psychologically, in many ways, I'm far more masculine than she is. I mean, I've got a deep, deep voice, you know, that's, that's quite a manly thing to, to have. And she's far more feminine than I am, and I'm so very glad. I mean, imagine waking up in the middle of night and you hear this deep voice, that would be freaky. But these differences, they're meant to be embraced and celebrated. They are good things because God made us so. And so both men and women, both equal in worth and dignity as God's image bearers, it speaks of unity when they come together. And second, this one flesh union also speaks about sex and intimacy. God created the boundaries in which sexual expression is safe, And it's good, and it's God-honoring, and it's good for human flourishing. And that is within the covenant of marriage, within the bounds of marriage. There are no other relationships in the world that are meant to be sexual. And so friends, acquaintances, those type of relationships, dating relationships, nothing outside of the marriage is meant to be sexual. And we'll reflect more on that next week. Third, this one flesh union speaks of complete openness. You've joined together as one flesh, and so there's complete openness and vulnerability with each other, honesty, nothing to hide. I mean, just like Adam and Eve, they felt no shame. They were without clothes. You see, not many of you will get to see me waking up in the morning. Not at all, apart from camps, maybe, in my PJs, hair not done, and just looking pretty hideous but Yvonne gets to see that every morning I look pretty hideous and she probably thinks so too but there is no shame in that there is complete openness in a marriage relationship but of course we're talking about here complete openness at every level of our being which is perhaps cause just to pause and reflect for those of us who are married are we holding up fences Between us and our spouse. Harbouring grievances. Keeping a logbook of all the wrongs. not, Not willing to forgive. And of course that undermines this one flesh union. I mean if your marriage is strained in any way at the moment. Perhaps it's time to talk. Seek counsel. And of course speak to the elders. We are here for you. Fourth. This one flesh union is joined by God. You see, all marriages, whether we know it or not, whether it's married in the church or not, all marriages the worldwide, it is a divinely ordained union, never meant to be separated till death do us part. And we'll reflect more on that in coming weeks. And so from the very first marriage, we learn that marriage is by God's design not our invention. It is a one flesh union joined by God. What we also learn about marriage is that it is a one flesh union established by public promises. And these public promises, these vows, they strengthen private intentions. And the reason why marriage is established by public promises, you know, see when couples stand up in front and make their promises and vows before family and friends and God it is because at the very heart of marriage it is not about falling in love because that just means you can fall out of love the very heart of marriage is faithfulness the very heart of marriage is faithfulness i am committing to you for richer or poorer in sickness and in health I'm committing to you for life. I will be vulnerable before you and I will feel no shame because we are together for life. You see, that is the better story of marriage. It's why cohabitation does not work and it is not good for children. Cohabitation meaning. Well, let's try before we buy, let's live together, let's have children, let's enjoy the privileges of marriage without the commitment of marriage. Perhaps we might decide later on whether we get married or not, or not at all. Now, this is not to say that cohabitating parents cannot be great parents. Of course, they can. But cohabitation, de facto relationships, is far less stable than marriage. In fact, according to a study by the UK Marriage Foundation, more than half of couples who only get married after their first child have split up 10 years later, half, compared to only one quarter of couples who marry before having their first child. Whereas cohabitating couples with children who do not marry at all, two-thirds have split up. You see, cohabitation is very unstable. Now, you might ask, why? This is what Harrison says. Marriage creates a culture that binds men to their responsibilities for children they bring into the world. It cements social expectations that boys and men would develop the virtues of commitment and faithfulness to build strong marriages for the well-being of kids, and the life of our communities as a whole. It's an important point, isn't it? You see, as a father to a daughter, there is no way at all, no way at all, as far as it is within my power, that I will allow my daughter to live with some dude before he makes a public declaration of lifelong faithfulness in marriage. No way at all. As far as it belongs within my power. I mean, I want no punk to get the wrong idea. Let it be heard. But of course, that won't be for many, 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 many years. But why is it that marriage must begin with public promises? Because the promises is of faithfulness. It is a covenant that is made. Standing there on the wedding day, you might be feeling over the moon. The future might look bright. But covenant faithfulness means I do not know what the future holds, but I'm with you to death do us part. You see, the the heart of marriage is faithfulness because it is reflecting the heart of the universe, and that is the heart of God himself. I'll say that again. The heart of marriage is faithfulness because that is reflecting the heart of the universe, and that is the heart of God. We see it throughout the Bible. In the story of Hosea, we see the faithfulness of God. God's relationship with his people in the Bible is often described like a marriage. And even when his people were unfaithful, they prostituted themselves to other gods and and committed adultery in such a way. They were unfaithful, but God remained faithful to them and pursued them. That's what we see in the story of Hosea. You see, the heart of God is faithfulness. And in marriage, what we are doing is so profound. It's not just a couple making promises. We are reflecting something of what God is like. It's why anniversaries, if anything, is better than the wedding day. Anniversaries is better than the wedding day because it is a witness of that faithfulness of the couple to each other, to the exclusion of all others. Through all the trials, they are still committed And it's wonderful to see that even within our church, like the Colemans, as we have already heard. In fact, two doors down from where I live, um, there's a couple uh, members of our church. They had their 74th wedding anniversary this year. 74 years together. Amazing. And so marriage is established by public promises and they strengthen private intentions. Next we see marriage is the formation of new family units that welcomes children. You see, what happens when a guy and girl get together? What is happening as they make those promises is that they are also forming a new family unit. Their allegiance has now changed from their parents to each other in this new family. And that's what we read in the first marriage, in Genesis 2 again. For this reason, a man will leave his father And mother, and be united. The word there is to cleave to, or to cling to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And so, when a guy gets down on his knees and asks the lady, "Will you marry me?" He's saying, "I'm no longer going to be mummy's boy. I'm no longer going to be mummy's boy." And in fact, makes me think those of us who are married and are still mummy's boy not saying that we're not meant to love our mums and love and honor our parents but our allegiance is to the new family and when she says yes she's paying the highest compliment by taking you at your word but you see what happens there is the leaving of the parents and cleaving to the wife it's the word unite to to cleave to to cling to It is a word that's also used of how scales are stuck on the back of a crocodile. It's inseparable. Or how an incurable disease clings to a person. It is that same word. You can't get rid of it. And so in marriage, what has happened was I have cleaved myself to Yvonne and I'm like, you know, this incurable disease that is stuck on her for life. She can't get rid of me. And and it's a good thing. And that's how new family units are formed. And when you muck around with the family unit, you create confusion, which is what we're seeing all over society. You see, the, you see the breaking down of the building blocks of a good society. And it is this new family unit that is the place to welcome children. And I use the word welcome because though it is the intention of God's design that families will have children... And it is seen to be a blessing of the marriage. Not all families will be able to have children and largely because of medical reasons. And of course there is pain in childlessness there. It's not easy. But families without children are families nonetheless. However, the intention is to welcome children and that must be there in marriage. And God's design is that children are brought into this world through the intimacy of that one flesh union. It all makes sense. It's all connected within the stability and boundary and safety of marriage. That is the environment in which to nurture and bring up children and new life. That is the God-ordained place. You see, there are no other forms of sexual union that has the potential to bear children. And so children are to be seen as a blessing from God, and they are the fruits of love within the marriage. And so what have we seen? Well, marriage is God's design, not our invention. We might try to do whatever we want with marriage, but it is God's design. Marriage is a one-flesh union joined by God. It is established on public promises of faithfulness, and it forms new family units that welcomes children That is the better story of marriage. But that is what marriage is. But who is marriage for? We see marriage is ultimately for God. Marriage is to be lived out in service of God. It is to be shaped by the gospel. Now hearing that you might be thinking "That, that sounds a bit wacky. It feels a bit strange. I thought marriage was about the couple. Well, yes, it is about the couple. There needs to be a couple. But the focus of the couple is not ultimately upon the couple, but upon God. It's meant to be on God. It's meant to be in the service of God. I mean, we heard from that interview, lovely words. Jesus is Lord of our marriage, what Carol said. Now, how do we get this idea? Well, consider why God created Eve for Adam in the first place. It wasn't merely because he had no companion and he was feeling very lonely. He had God as his unrestricted companion. So why did God create Eve? Well, notice it wasn't because he was lonely, but he was alone. There's a subtle difference there. So let's have a look at Genesis 2 again. God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper as his complement. So, why was it not good for Adam to be alone? Well, it was because he could not fulfill the creation mandate on his own. He could not be fruitful on his own. He could not be sustaining the world and looking after the world on his own. It was a job too big for him. He was unable to, in a sense, serve God alone. He needed a helper, a complement. And so when Eve came along, they were able to serve God together in the garden and to fulfill their creation mandate, be fruitful and subdue the earth. You see, marriage was not designed so that husband and wife can gaze into each other's eyes for the rest of their lives. I mean, I marry you so that you can meet my needs and i meet your needs. That's not what marriage is. Instead, it's meant to be together, side by side, in the service of God to fulfill the creation mandate as part of it. It's not meant to be a form of selfishness. Christopher Ash, he puts it brilliantly. He says this. He says, Marriage and family can easily become just a respectable form of selfishness. If we marry mainly to meet our own needs, then our marriages will be just that, good-looking mask for selfishness. It is a short step from loving you to loving me and wanting you. And he goes on to say, The key to a good marriage is not to pursue a good marriage, but to pursue the honour of God. We need to replace this selfish model of marriage with one in which we work side by side in God's garden rather than gaze forever into each other's eyes. Now that is not to say that there is to be no romance or joy or laughter or companionship or intimacy in marriage. Of course there are, and they are all done in the service of God, enjoyed in the service of God. But perhaps it is worth reflecting. You see, the strong marriages we see around, the strong marriages are not those where husband and wife are so head over heels over each other and they become so introverted such that their world is just each other. But instead, strong marriages are those where you see them standing side by side as they love those outside the marriage as they use their marriage to serve, to build community, and of course, in the service of God. It's worth reflecting on, isn't it? How is my marriage, if you are married, in the service of God? Is my marriage a blessing to those outside my marriage, outside my family? Is it a blessing to my community? Or is my marriage just about me and my spouse? You see, marriage is meant to be in the service of God. And marriage is, of course, shaped by the gospel. It is patterned by the gospel. Now, what do I mean? Well, what I mean is that strong marriages will look like what Jesus has done for us. Self-giving, sacrificial love, seeking the interests of the other as we side by side serve God. You see, marriage is to die to selfishness. And that is why we see problems in marriages, when we forget that, when we forget the shape of the gospel. I mean, there are problems for many reasons, but often it begins with forgetting the gospel principle. You see, when I'm selfish in my marriage, it's just not good for the marriage, not at all. When all I do in my marriage is just to take and take and take and not serve, I'm neglecting my responsibility. Or when I'm wronged in the marriage and I don't forgive, then I'm undermining that one-flesh union. Or when I say I forgive, however I dig up the last 10, 15 years of faults and lay it upon my spouse's lap. and Well, that's not true forgiveness. That is not learning from Jesus who has been so gracious to us. A strong marriage is patterned by the gospel. Just as Jesus died for me, I'm willing to die for my wife. Not just when the core needs to be to push her out of a bus or take a for. but every single day. A strong marriage is patterned upon the gospel, which means husbands and wives, those of us who are married. There is always something to work on in our marriage so that it is shaped by that gospel. And it takes work to build a strong marriage. It doesn't just fall into place accidentally. It takes work. And so husbands, those of us who are, we need to remember our responsibility as husbands. As Christ is to the church, we are to be to our wives, taking leadership, bearing responsibility, being sacrificial. In my marriage, it means not just for Yvonne to know that I love her, but for her to feel it, to see that I'm making sacrifices for her. And wives, well, what does it look like to respect our husbands, to see and to be champions of our husbands, that they might lead us in the way of Christ? You see, strong marriages take work, and the gospel is the shape of that work. Every once in a while, Yvonne and myself, when we have lunch together every couple of months, we would ask each other, how can I be a better husband? Or she would say, she would ask, how can I be a better wife? Yesterday, I said it quite casually, well, how can I improve? And she replied, well, where do I begin? I've got a long list. And I thought, okay, I've heard enough. But the point being, marriages take work. And they need to be shaped by the gospel. Faults add. Sins forgiven and repentance. And do you know what type of witness that is to the world? If they are the marriages we have, if our marriages are so shaped by the gospel in mutual self giving and love, where there is always forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation and coming back together again, so that year after year after year, the marriage is an icon of God's faithfulness. Well, in a world that is so broken, confused relationships, confused marriages, children without good role models, you want your marriage to be such that when anyone observes your marriage and your family, they'll say, I want mine to be just like that because I see something of the love of God. A strong Christian marriage is shaped by the gospel and it is a wonderful witness to the gospel, to our world. Finally, marriage anticipates the greater heavenly marriage. The Bible begins with the marriage between Adam and Eve, and it ends with the greater marriage between Christ and his church. And that is described in the Bible, in Ephesians, as a profound mystery. God is trying to teach us through marriage how much he loves us, how much he has pursued us. Ephesians described it, and in Revelation we see that picture of it. You see, that human marriages, all our earthly marriages here, they are mere shadows. And every marriage points beyond itself to that ultimate perfect union we will share with Jesus Christ. It is so profound. It is so glorious what the future holds. The wedding day may be great. Anniversaries may be wonderful, and they should be. However, it is nothing compared to the heavenly marriage. I mean, earthly marriages is a whisper of the eternal marriage. Don't you just love that? Every earthly marriage is only a whisper of the eternal marriage. When all our longings and joys and celebration and companionship and union will all be completely fulfilled and satisfied. What marriage is meant to be like, we will have it if Christ is our Lord. And so finally, just a few points for all of us in our church. For those of us who are married and we have great marriages by the grace of God, We need to remember that our marriage is not the be-all and end-all. Our life does not revolve just around our marriage. There is something far greater that our marriage points to. All the joys and laughter we enjoy, it will be far greater even in heaven. And so we look forward to that. But we remember that our marriage is strong now if it is shaped by the gospel and if it is in the service of God. Those of us, who have experienced marriages that have been painful and hurtful, and there are some in our church. It's the sad reality of living in this sin-ravaged world, the pain of betrayal, difficulties in marriage, disharmony. Well, if that is you, you need to speak out. I mean, Carol said we cannot be too proud to seek help. Do speak out. Marriage counselling, speak to the elders. We are here to help. Don't don't leave it when it's too late, otherwise it may be too late. But also remember, for you too, one day we will experience marriage as it's meant to be. And those of you who are single, while you may or may not want to get married, whether the opportunity has arisen or not, It is a good thing to pray that God will help, to find joy and contentment in the station of life God has given you, to not see life on a whole waiting for some prince charming or some princess, but to see your life now to be lived out in joy and service of him, and to remember you too are not missing out, because that wonderful picture and revelation is for you and us and for all those who belong to Jesus when one day, We, the bride of Christ, will see our saviour face to face. And so marriage, God's design, not our invention. Marriage is in the service of God. It is shaped by the gospel. And our marriage is a whisper. It anticipates that heavenly perfect marriage. And that is the better story of marriage. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that marriage is not something we have to sort out and work out ourselves. But you have designed as good for us. So help us to heed your words. And so we do pray, Lord, for all of us, married or not, in our church, that we will honour that estate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.